Before we read this morning's scripture from Isaiah 64, I invite you to join me in saying the prayer and the words are on the screen behind me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A reading from Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 12. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our, swin- our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. What a wonderful time of worship this morning, wasn't that? Just a wonderful time? I'll wait in the spirit of Advent. Uh, Not only musically, but the spirit of the service has been one of God's presence. And our children are participating in meaningful ways. One of the desires we have at Skyview is to disciple our children from a young age to recognize that they play a significant part in the work of God. And I do thank God for people who invest time in them. And I thank God for a church that makes room for them. I don't know if you heard, but through some of the playing during offering, there was a young kid singing along in (laughs) heavenly language. That's the only... And I thought to myself, how delighted Jesus is when children have room in a church like ours. This morning, I want to speak to you as the, on the first Sunday of Advent about a scripture that at first may not appear to be quite a Christmassy type of scripture. Uh, Advent is said to be a season of anticipation. The word itself speaks of longing, waiting, coming. And of course, we get excited and anticipate uh, perhaps time off. Anybody anticipating some time off? Yes, there's a lot of waiting for time off. 
time away. Anybody planning to go away somewhere? Raise your hand. You're going away. Uh, time to ourselves. Some of you are just tired of other people and you just want time to yourselves. Some of us are anticipating good food. Yes, good food, favorite foods. I know that at Christmas time I used to look forward to trifle pudding. Does anybody know what trifle is? My mom made the best trifle pudding. Our, our kids, of course, uh, look forward to um, gifts underneath the Christmas tree and let's not overlook how retail owners, store owners, and Amazon looks forward to blockbuster sale figures prior and following Christmas Day. But what if this morning, as the scripture teaches us, that Advent holds much more promise for those who follow Jesus Christ? What if for us it is more than anticipating the good things of life, the family time, the times away, the times in the sun, but indeed a time of longing, desperate waiting for God's presence and his kingdom to break into our lives, into our families, and into our situation. You see, Isaiah 64 begins with a desperate plea. The language is one that doesn't speak of a gentle anticipation or a kind invitation for God to act. It is one that speaks of the situation that Israel finds itself in. And the prophet begins by saying, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Isaiah's prayer is a desperate plea in a desperate time. Israel is disoriented because Israel had failed to follow the God who has called them his own. In fact, they are disoriented because not only has the Assyrians taken them into captivity and led them away, but they have desolated the city of Jerusalem, who for many of us we understand means everything to the Israelite people. Not only did they desolate Jerusalem, but they desecrated and destroyed the temple. There's a sense in the text, if you understand the context, that when Isaiah calls out, God come down, he's not just asking God to come and intervene in a small way. He's saying, our situation is really, really desperate. In fact, the whole echo of Isaiah is that God would save. The whole refrain in, in Isaiah is that God will save the people because they cannot save themselves. And so Isaiah stands in the gap between God and the people. And he says, God, we need you. We need you. Now, this idea of need is an interesting one because I think that the people believe that they have a need. And I think they understand in part what their need is. But it's interesting when you follow Isaiah 64 that what they are asking God to do is what they believe is what God needs to do. In fact, they call out to him in the words of Isaiah and say, God, act like you've acted before. Act like you did with Elijah. Do you remember the story of the prophet Elijah? You know, so there's the prophets of Baal, and they have this holy kind of competition. The prophets of Baal, uh, they start cutting themselves and, and they start bleeding and they start crying out to their, to their gods, gods, please light this burnt, this offering so that it will burn so that we would know that you are the powerful gods. Remember the story of Elijah? And they go on, they cut themselves, they cry, they mourn, they wail, a lot of time passes and nothing happens and then comes the prophet Elijah. Not only does he come in a in kind of an unassuming way, but he pours, he says, pour water over everything. 
In fact, they drench, they drench the sacrifices, they drench the trenches, and then he prays a simple prayer, and boom, fire down, right? And everything burns. It's like when Isaiah is asking God to intervene, and he's saying, God, remember how you used to do this. You used to kind of just step in and do something powerful, and then the enemies will fear you. They will know that you are God. But the tension in the text is this. God refuses to act like he's acted before. You see, the people were convinced that what they needed was this miraculous, powerful, heaven-tearing-up God to step in and change their circumstance. They disoriented because of their exile, but they also disoriented because God seemingly is silent. In fact, Isaiah would put it this way, you've abandoned us. You were angry because we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we continued to sin. (laughs) I don't know about you, but perhaps there is for some of us a sense of anticipating the good things of Christmas. I want to suggest this morning that as we begin Advent, perhaps God, by His Spirit, wants to be silent so that we can consider deeply really what it is that we need. See, I'm not convinced that we always know what we need. And Advent is a perfect time for us to wait in such a way as to say, God, even if you do not respond in the way that I think you need to respond, that somehow in the waiting you are teaching me something. You see, the silence of God in Scripture is not the absence of God's love or His care. The silence of God is often something that God allows in times like these. Some of us are sitting here saying, you know what, Stu, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to live a Christian life and at times feel that God is absent. If I was to ask you to raise your hand, would you be bold enough to say, Stu, we've been there? I know what it's like as a pastor to go through times where I feel like it's a very barren and desert-type experience in my spirituality, where it doesn't seem to feel like like God is really there, that, that things are really the way it is. And sometimes when I look at my personal life and circumstances, I say, God, I desperately need you to act. Ever been there? Can I get an amen? The times I ask God to do that is the times where I've come to the end of myself. And so do you. The times when we become desperate is when we realize we cannot save ourselves and so we cry out. But in such crying, I think some Christians like me, if we're to be honest, kind of encounter what Israel and Isaiah encounters, a God that refuses to respond to what they are asking him to do. I wonder if we were to examine our lives this morning honestly, and this season invites us to do so every day. By the way, I invite you to download a Bible app like version, and there's wonderful reading plans throughout Advent. There is an opportunity for us to learn how to, in the silence of God, as we anticipate celebrating His coming through Jesus Christ, that perhaps God will show us things about our lives that we don't really know that we truly need God to do. Perhaps God will reveal to us what some of the deep needs are within us. I'm not talking about a break from winter's cold death grip, which I would like, but that which is burdensome, difficult, overwhelming, too much for any one person here to carry on their own. Perhaps it's a burden we carry privately or a burden we carry for others, for family members or friends. Perhaps it's like it was for Israel, a situation we find ourselves in because we have sinned or made a mistake. 
Or perhaps it's pain that makes us cry out in desperation for God's intervention because someone else has done something to harm and hurt. Possibly for some of us this morning, God's silence speaks of his judgment of us. Certainly Isaiah would in the passage we just read say, God, it's because we sinned that you are doing this to us. You, you, you're remaining silent because we have not been obedient. And for others, this silence of God may even challenge our very faith in him. I want to suggest this morning that there is a gift in the silence of God. It is a gift that comes to us in unexpected ways. I sense that in my own spiritual life, there are many times where I fail to know what I truly need and my prayer life is discerned and determined by what I think is best for me. But there is this wonderful gift that comes to me when I come to the end of myself or intentionally place myself before the Lord and say, may your will be done and not mine. In our church this morning, I'm learning to discern what our true need is as a community, not just what we long for. You see, my longings can be misleading. And sometimes when I long for that which God does not want to give, it creates all kinds of frustrations in my spiritual and in my Christian walk. Sometimes we make longings needs when they are not, yet our text invites us to consider that when God is silent, perhaps he is teaching us something about desiring his will and his way for our lives, and in particular trying to mold and shape us in particular ways. You see, Isaiah requests God to do what he has done before, and this makes sense. I often say to people, when you go through a hard time, a dry time, a desert time, a time when God is silent, I will say, remember how God acted before. It's a wonderful practice. If you were here this morning and you, you're kind of going through a difficult time, you, maybe you can, you, can, you can think about a time where you felt alive in faith. Maybe you can feel, think about a time where God came through and, and acted in profound ways. Maybe you can remember how God, only God could do what he did. Now you remember it and you go, yes. And so, you know, the hope in my encouragement as a pastor is, is that as you remember, you'd be encouraged. As you remember, you would draw upon your faith. As you remember, you would remember that God is still the same, that he is still able to do immeasurably more than we often think or even ask of him. Thanks be to his name. But there are times in life when even such remembering doesn't seem to change where we're at. You see, I, I think this morning that this desperate plea is a reflection of a prophet who understood just how much the people needed God this desperate plea is one that, that should define us as Christians in our personal life and as a community of faith. It is the kind of plea that says, God, please show up. Without you, this won't change. Without you, there is no hope. You know, I, I don't know how to preach this well. And you say, so what's new? But I try every Sunday. 
You know, I, I feel that the best preaching is the kind of preaching that starts in an honest place, you know, an honest place. So people, people other pastors find me a little bit hard uh, on preaching because they'll say, Stu, we don't know if we want to step into that transparency. It's, it's, it's a little... It's a little off-putting sometimes. I, I hope you know that I'm not trying to make myself the hero of every sermon. <laughs> I like to think of myself as being successful. But, but, but I, I'm trying to enter into this text, and I'm trying to kind of invite you to enter into this text to, to not only think about your lives differently, but to think about what it is that God is trying to do and teach us when we go through very difficult and hard times. When we desperately cry out to Him, listen, you know, I, I, I said this jokingly before, but it's also true. You know, some of us haven't had a, a very hard life, right? Thanks be to God. I'm not here to say get a hard life. But for many of us that have been to places where we just kind of come to the end of ourselves and we're saying all we have is God and we call out to Him, those are some of the hardest places to live faithfully in. It's almost the most difficult places. Sometimes what we need to do when we hit those places is to do what Isaiah does and says, listen, God, let's be honest with you. We haven't lived the way you want us to live. We are here because of what we've done. We are here because we failed to live up to what you've asked of us. There's just times. Listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching anything you haven't heard before. You know, I, I'm just being straightforward. There are times where we mess up and we find ourselves paying for that mess up. And somehow God's silence in those times doesn't mean that he stopped loving us. But you know, I kind of feel, and this is simplistic, but it's the only way I can access deep theology sometimes. It's kind of like God saying, if I always intervene where you want me to intervene because you've been disobedient, will you ever learn? how much I truly care. Will you ever get that my plans are the right plans? My will is the best will for you. Will you ever grasp and understand if all I do is jumping, bad parenting is saving our kids from the consequences of poor choices at times. But that's hard to do. Because I love my children I want to spit. I'm the father that will put a trampoline under a tree that Luke wants to climb. I'm the kind of father that will interrogate any boy that comes to my door for my daughter's hand in dating and will try to scare the living daylights out of them. I'm the kind of father that wants to ensure that, that, that there's no risk, that there's no threat. I, I would want to protect. This is the heart of this kind of father. But there are times, my friends, when I think that God teaches us often in the hard places where we pay for the things we've decided to do that was not according to his way and his silence is not his way of saying that he loves you. In fact, it is his grace that comes to Israel time upon time. <laughs> I think God's silence to Israel reminds them that they do not control him and that there are consequences for disobedience. You see, God's delay in intervening teaches Israel that they do not hold God in their control. Sometimes, you, you may say, is that, is that really a relevant point? I think many of us tend to operate this way, that God owes us. You know, if, if, we, if we operate in a certain way, he's somehow now accountable to us. He, you know, Israel, Israel did this with the, uh, with the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember this? 
This ark that represented to be so holy, very holy present, they thought that as long as they held the ark, they held God's power. And sometimes God's silence teaches us just who he is. We're not playing around with just any God here. We're not, we're not playing out with just kind of a superficial philosophy, an idea of some reality that is greater than us. We're talking about the Bible defines as the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of all things, the heaven and the earth. We're talking about creator God, your Father, this great God that all of us should bow in reverence to. There's a sense in which God's silence is a means of telling us who we are so that we would better apprehend who he is. And many Christians, unfortunately, including myself at times in the absence of God, we make him accountable for our situations. We're here, God, because you didn't show up. That's what Israel says. That's what Isaiah says. And because you didn't show up, we're acting even more crazy. Literally, the original translation. (laughs) You meet those who gladly do right, says Isaiah, those who remember you in your ways, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. Take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. I fear the day that God allows me to keep getting what I want. And yet Christian spirituality has been co-opted to become exactly that. Give me what I want. My friends, you know, it might sound simplistic that I preach on a subject like this, but I want to suggest to you that the God who remains silent in the time of suffering like this is a God that wants to teach us that he knows what is ultimately best for us, and sometimes it is not what we think, and it is not what we ask for. I wonder this morning if there are some of us who've been frustrated for a long time because we've been so disappointed by our faith because it doesn't work. It doesn't work, Stu. It doesn't work out for me. Whether this is the kind of message that seeks to deconstruct our will, our ways over God's. I wonder if God's silence is often a way of his grace coming to us and saying, I want you to, I want you to be discerning. I want you to be discerning of the ways in which you find yourself in places like this, and I want you to to live differently. You see, God's silence affords Israel the opportunity to rethink their way of life. Sometimes, the only way that God deconstructs some deep health beliefs, some deep hurts, the only way that God changes how we actually see Him and see ourselves, the only way in which God redirects our hearts towards His will is sometimes when He remains silent. And so, in Advent, we wait for the one who is able to do for us what only God can. It is an invitation, as the prophet rightly concludes, to be in the hands of a God who molds us even in the times of silence. A God who wants to do things in our lives that 
sometimes we don't even recognize needs to change. My friends, I have in the last several months been reminded of how much this church and your pastor needs the God of Isaiah to break in, to break in the situations, to break into lives, to deal with things that others and you have probably thought is hopeless, and to remind us that he is still God. The things that we, we try to forget because when we think about them, they're just too painful. Have you ever been there? The things that we turn the radio on for so that we wouldn't have to listen to our own thoughts. The things that we turn the TV off for because we don't want to be overwhelmed by how problematic our world is and how people are unfair and unjust. The kinds of things that, that deeply unsettles us and makes us feel like we're on the losing end of the battle. You know, when you, when you start to kind of feel the weight of the world, this is where the church does its best work. It falls between, before the feet of a God who is mighty. And we cry along with the witness throughout history, God, come. break in. Even in your silence, do your work. What would that be for you as a family, for you as an individual, this Advent season, to approach it not only from the commercial standpoint of, of fun and friendship and, and, and family and gifts, but to actually become prayerful on a daily basis? I want to be real practical with you. I, I don't think there's any rocket science to how we learn to wait with the Lord, how we learn to be present with Him, and to intentionally cast aside time on a daily basis just to be in His presence. It is sometimes in the silence that God speaks profoundly to those who are acquainted with noise. It is sometimes in the silence that God has shown me things in my own life that I would not hear unless I slowed down and became attentive. Look, my friends, I, I know this to be true because of my own experience, but I, I also want to say to you in concluding here this morning that if and whether you believe that there is an evil or Satan or force working against the good of God, I do believe this, that very often times he works to such an end to keep us so preoccupied with everything else that we cannot become attentive to the longing of our souls. And everything else that we chase, pursue, and go after, once we get it, we know it does not bring the peace that only God can. With all that this Advent season means, it means this, that Christ has come, that God has not remained hidden forever, <laughs> that the silence is broken, and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, as those who know that God is good. My prayer for you this Advent season as a community of faith is expressed in the words of the Apostle Paul, who cannot stop giving thanks for the people of God. Because it is because of many of you that my faith has grown. 
And on this Advent Sunday, I pray that in this month ahead, you would experience the joy of the hope we have in Jesus. In your lives and in your family, let us pray. Father God, we thank you today not only for the times in which you tear into our lives, but the times in which you are silent. I pray this morning that Advent would indeed, for many of us, take on the renewed, the renewed meaning of waiting with expectation, longing for that which we truly need. Help us to discern the significance of Jesus, the significance of our faith. Father, everything else in our world would say that there are more valuable things. I pray that Advent would be a time in which you deconstruct us from all the false gods and idols that we pursue and teach us that there is no greater than you. May we as a community of faith worship because we know you are worthy. May we give thanks in this Christmas season for all the many blessings that we enjoy, our family, our church, our building, our health, our homes, our children, our grandchildren. Father, this church, we give you thanks for all those things. But above all things, we give you thanks that you have not remained hidden, but you have come to those like us. May, Father, our faith in you become alive again. May it reinvigorate us to draw close to you and to your promises in Jesus' name. Amen.